I need to stop fooling around and start preaching, amen? I, I sense that they're frying the chicken now and uh, getting ready for the churches to let go, but I'm not going to quit until I'm done today, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I have never preached on this topic. I have never even experienced what I experienced in my spirit and my revelation this week when I saw this in a new light. How many of you have been reading the Bible for a lot of years? I mean, let me see your hands. A long time. And, And you know that sometimes when we read through passages of Scripture that we're very familiar with, it's easy just to skim through those because it's like, okay, I know all the details here. I understand this and I... And, and so I'm just going to move on because I, I got to spend extra time in, in Deuteronomy this week. And that, that's going to take a real effort on my part. But sometimes I have learned that in those passages of scripture that are most familiar, if we'll just slow down and read and tune our ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he'll say something and speak something into our spirit that we knew but it will impact us in a way like it never has before. And that's kind of what happened with me today. And when I read this passage of scripture, you're going to recognize it. It will be very familiar to you. But the thought that came to me this week as I was reading from Acts chapter 12 is that when we wake up one morning and realize how huge our God is, I mean, and how incredibly gifted he is and the abilities that he possesses and the desire to pass those from his hand to our hand. If we'd wake up one day and recognize that and realize that, it would change the way that we react to everything that touches our life. It really would. It would change the way that we react And we would begin responding with the knowledge. That's one of the things that Pastor Smith was talking about last night. He's talking about getting knowledge, getting knowledge, getting knowledge. How can you do what God wants you to do or respond the way that God wants you to respond unless you have the knowledge necessary? You've been hearing that around here for a while. If we don't know what God's will is, if we don't know what God's plan is, if we don't know what God's word says about our situation, how in the world can we respond affirmatively to it? We have to know. And the only way that we can know is for us to get it in there, transfer it in there by the reading of God's word. The revelation that comes to me this week is that we serve an omni-God an omni-God. And I'm going to explain that to you. I'm not being disrespectful when I say that. I just feel like the Lord through his spirit was revealing to me that we need to see our life through the perspective of the God that we're serving rather than seeing it through the perspective of the circumstances that we're facing. Instead of being circumstance-driven, We need to be God-driven and spirit-driven. Instead of allowing our frustrations to drive us, we need to get to the place where our faith 
is driving us and moving us. So with all that in mind, let's look at Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says, And about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Just let me stop long enough to say a squad was four soldiers. So four squads would be 16 men, 16 soldiers that were, uh, that were around Peter here. He was sleeping. Now when Herod, uh, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and he woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hand. Lord, let some chains fall off today. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city and it opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, you know what that is? Fresh revelation, knowledge. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Anybody ever said that about you? You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them, with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. And now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. Another, where in the world is he? And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. 
And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and he spent some time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, how would you like to have a name like that? I don't think I've, I've ever seen any children in any churches where I've pastored called Blastus. Brutus maybe, but not Blastus. The king's chamberlain, and they asked for peace because their, their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god, and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. I wonder if he breathed his last before he was eaten with worms or if he was eaten with worms while he was breathing his last. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of difference. Worms are worms. But, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, just help me to stay right in that zone that you have given me with the message that you've placed in my spirit. Because I really, I, I don't know, I just have a great comfort in my spirit today that you, you are going to set some people free and break some chains off today. But the only way that that's going to happen is if they can come to the knowledge that they are serving an omni-God, a God who is well able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of God that works in us. A God who is able to do the impossible uh, with very little effort whatsoever. Just a word from your mouth. Just a command. And Lord, our lives can change drastically in a moment. So Lord, I'm praying that as I speak today that I will represent your word effectively and that the hearts of your people will open to the word of faith that comes through Scripture. And that when they leave here today, they'll be changed, not because they heard some man preach, but because they heard the voice of the Lord and the Spirit of God rising in them with revelation knowledge. I ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Are you ready? Tell somebody you're ready. Would you not agree that sometimes we serve God like he's a clown at the circus? As long as he's entertaining us, we like it. But when God starts trying to get us to a deeper level of living in him, we resist that oftentimes. And because we resist what God wants to do in our lives, we often find ourselves in situations that are shattering our faith and destroying our confidence. And that's the reason so many people in the church today are no more victorious than the people who are outside of the church today. 
Because if all we do is just come to church and meet for a couple of hours and sing a few songs and listen to a message and go home and keep doing what we've always done according to human wisdom, guess what? It's never going to change our life and it's never going to change our circumstance. But what would happen if we woke up one day and said, today is the first day for the rest of my life. I may not be able to rid myself of my mess, but the way that I respond to my mess can be differently than the way that I reacted to it in the past. I'm not going to react to it in the flesh any longer. I am not a fleshly individual. I'm a spiritual man or woman of God, and I have the tools and am fully equipped to face everything that I will ever face in this life and to do it successfully and to be an overcomer through the power of God that lives within me. But have you ever found yourself in a place like Peter where it seemed like that this situation, this circumstance that you're in was sure to be a defeat? It was imminent. You knew in your mind that somehow you were going to suffer because of this situation and you were expecting the suffering as much as you were expecting the breakthrough because you found yourself in that rut, rut, in that rut. and your hope was completely gone. It had, it had trickled out of your spirit and you find yourself just getting up every day facing the same stuff, the same nonsense without any hope for victory. James had already been martyred according to scripture and now Peter was in captivity awaiting the same fate. It was just a matter of time before Herod did to Peter what he had already done to James and it was going to be just a matter of hours or days before someone stepped up and made the announcement that another soldier has fallen. His name was Peter and his life was taken by the hand of Herod. But it appears to me that Peter didn't care one little bit. I say that because when we see Peter, he's not up in arms. He's sleeping between 16 armed guards. He's taking a nap. I don't know. I've had some pretty good naps in my day. But I'm not sure that I would have been sleeping in that instance. How can it be that a man of God can rest and sleep when there are 16 armed guards around him? The scripture says there were two chains on his body keeping him confined to the area that he was in. There were sentries posted at the door. There was no human answer to the dilemma that Peter found himself in. How could he be at peace? How could he be resting when he was in such a situation? I'm going to tell you how. Somehow he knew in his spirit that I don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. All I have to do is make my request known unto the Lord. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I serve an omni-God who is well able to take care of this situation. And since I'm not concerned about it, I'm just going to take me a nap if you don't mind. 
And he laid down and rested in the knowledge of this omni-God. Now, when I say omni-God, let me define what I'm talking about. If you go to the dictionary and look up the word omni, here's what omni means. It means all. Look at your neighbor and say it means all. It means all things. It means all ways. It means all places. It means all. So when you say omni, you're saying all. So if I look across the dinner table and say to my wife, hand me the omni pork chops, please. I'm not asking for one pork chop. I'm asking for all the pork chops because I've defined them with that word omni. If I say I want all your love, I'm saying omni, I'm saying I want all that you have to give me. Now, throughout the years, we've talked about these characteristics of an omni-God. For instance, omniscience means that we serve a God who is all-knowing. He knows everything that there is to know, and he knew it before you did. In fact, it was his idea in the first place because he is the creator. He knows everything. He knows it all. He is omniscience. He is omniscient. It means he knows all. But not only that, we know that he is omnipresent, which means he is always here. We've got to get in our spirit, church, that wherever wherever you are, he is because he's in you. I want to remind you that Peter was, what we see is in Acts chapter 12, which is after Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, something significant happened for the believer. Because the scripture says, on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one mind and one accord. And there came into that room a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. And he set upon each and every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And Jesus had made it very clear, when I go away, my father is going to send another one who's just like me. He's not going to just live in the neighborhood, but he shall be in you. Pat yourself on the back and say, I'm full of God. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter if you believe it right now or not. It doesn't matter. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you have royal blood flowing through your veins and have full access to all the power and the authority of God that is available to mankind today because he is in you. I don't have to ask him to come. He is ever present. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he is omnipotent. That's a big fancy word, which means he has all power, all authority. In fact, he's resting his feet on the footstool of this earth because he's got it all under his control. He is omnipotent. He said, I thought you were were preaching from Acts chapter 12. I am. I'm getting ready to unleash it right now. Are you ready? Acts chapter 12 is a perfect picture 
of what I'm talking about when I'm suggesting to you that we serve an omni-God. I want you to see here how God reveals himself to the people here in Acts chapter 12 through this idea of being an omni-God. The first one is this. Here's my first observation. Omni-God knows what you're going through. Omni-God knows what you're going through. Do you not think that, that God knew who Herod number one was and who Herod number two was? You better believe he knew who they were. Herod number one, if you'll remember, was the one who was in power when Jesus was born. And when he received the word that the Messiah had been born, he issued a decree that declared that all young males under the age of two shall be killed. Now, what kind of idiot would issue a decree that says we want to kill every young boy that is born in America that is two years of age or under? That's the kind of craziness that Herod was working with. Now, this guy that we see in Acts chapter 12 is Herod number two. He, he, is, the, he is the grandson of Herod number one. And so Herod decides number two that I am going to catch James uh, and I'm going to cut his head off I'm going to destroy him I am going to assassinate him and he got him and he did exactly what he promised he would do and the people that he was ruling over were applauding his actions they said way to go Herod we like that do some more of that that's good stuff it's, it's, it's crazy bad when people start following their national leaders, when their national leaders are proposing things that are contrary to the word and the will of God. And we need to be aware of that going into this election cycle. It's not going to do us a whole lot of good to get on Facebook and tell everybody about it. But I'll tell you on the day that I'm voting, I'm going to vote my convictions and not based on what I think somebody's telling me I ought to do. Herod's killing James and the people are saying, good job, kill somebody else. Deliver somebody else. And they liked it so much that Herod said, I'm going to get Peter and I'm going to do the same thing to him. But because it is the time of unleavened bread, I'm not going to kill him today. I'm going to put him in the prison. I'm going to tell you something. He should have killed him the instant he got his hands on him because he, was, he was, had in his possession a protected and anointed man. And he put him in the prison, and God knew where Peter was. He didn't lose track of him. He knew Herod and what Herod number one and Herod number two would do. What about James? We don't talk about James. James paid the ultimate price. He paid the price of his life. He was martyred for the sake of Jesus Christ. When it came down to it, and he either had to deny the Lord Jesus Christ or stick to his guns, he stuck to his guns and lost his life on this side. But listen... He didn't lose his life on that side, amen. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, amen. And when James left this life, he immediately went into the presence of Jesus Christ. 
God wasn't unaware of James and he knew exactly where Peter was. He was aware of the chains that were on him. They typically put them on their ankles and on their wrists so that they could not get away. God knew that. He knew exactly where they were. And he was not aware. He knew about the 16 guards. He knew their names. He knew the number of hair that they had on their head. He knew everything about those guards. Not only did he know what was going on in the prison, but Omni-God knew what was going on at Mary's house. Because the scripture says that Mary and several people were in there and they were praying and interceding on behalf of Peter. Oh, they weren't just having some social party. They weren't having sausage links and pancakes. They were, they were on their faces before God. They were praying unto the most high God. They were believing that whatsoever we ask in Jesus' name, we have the authority to break through and to pray through. We're not gonna just pray till we get through. We're gonna pray until we break through, amen, and touch the, the heavenlies with our request. And they're praying. And God knew they were praying. He was not unaware of their... But say, how can an omni-God be aware of Herod and James and Peter and the guards and the chains and the prayer meeting? How can he do that and keep everything together in his mind? Because omni-God has all knowledge. He is omniscient. Which means he knows everything there is to know at the any given second, any given moment. He knows exactly what is going on. Omniscience. How does that apply to you? If he knew what was going on with Peter, he knows what's going on with you. He knows how the enemy is trying to treat you and defeat you and steal from you and kill you. And do the very thing that he has been doing for eons of time. The enemy is not just out to get you. He is out to get everyone that he can turn from the grace of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, Jesus is not unaware of the, the, the things that you're going through. He is not aware, unaware of the tears that you've shed. He is not unaware of how you feel when you're all alone. He is not unaware of how you feel when you're confused and you don't have the answers. He is not unaware of the emotion that you're feeling today. He is not unaware of how exhausted that you may feel and how tired your body is. He is not unaware of any of it, but he is aware of every detail of your life because he is omniscient. He knows everything. Not only does he know everything, but he is everywhere, which leads me to my second observation. Omni-God is strategically placed for deliverance. Now I want you to notice that word strategically. You could say, well, God's here. But I think he's probably in this back room back there because I don't feel him and I don't see him. God's here, but maybe he's in the restroom or in children's church today. God's here, but I don't know. Listen, God strategically places his anointing in the vessel 
who will allow his spirit to flow through them to encourage and bless someone else. See, we've got the wrong idea in the church today. We, we select our churches and attend our churches based on our consumer mentality. Well, I go there because I like the music. I go there because I like the pastor. I like there. I go there because I like the, their children's program. I go there because I can this and I can that. No, 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 no. God strategically builds the church and brings the people into the body of believers that needs to be here so that we can function together as the body of Christ and encourage one another in the Lord. I came to bless you today. You came to bless me today. You came to bless the person to your right and to your left. God may have strategically anointed you today to speak a word or to hug a neck or to let somebody know that they have not been forgotten because God can use you in that manner. He strategically places himself so that deliverance can flow. He is omnipresent. So where is he? That means he's everywhere simultaneously, but he is in us. So with that knowledge, there was no benefit for Peter to wrestle physically or emotionally because he was equipped spiritually. Let me say it again. There was no benefit for Peter to wrestle physically or emotionally because he was equipped spiritually. Hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against wickedness in high places, against rulers. We don't wrestle against each other. We're not wrestling against the government. We're not wrestling against a, an, a, an earthly enemy. We're not wrestling against our husband or our wife or our spouse. We're not wrestling against our children. We're wrestling against an enemy who has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. So why should we wrestle? Can you imagine if Peter had been in that prison and it dawned on him, well, I'm not going to go out without a fight. Here I am in prison. I got 16 all around me. I've got sentries at the door. I've got chains on me, but I'm going to have a Russell Crowe spirit come on me and I'm going to beat up every last one of them. Jump up and start whipping people, start kicking them with, their t- with these chains, just break them off and, and start trying to whip them around and hit people. It, it would have been foolishness to try to fight in the flesh what can only be accomplished in the spirit. He would have been wasting his time. That's the reason Daniel didn't get upset in the den of lions. He he knew he couldn't defeat the lion on his own, but he knew he didn't have to because God was there. And that's the reason he could be at peace because God was there. Listen, can I just say to some of you today, stop fighting that battle. Just whatever it is that you, you're just determined. I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to defeat this thing. I'm going to do it. 
And we'll even be spiritual enough to say, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Listen, we've got to realize when there are things that are outside of our control and we've got to let God be God. He's here. He's available. He's ready. We just got to let him be the God that he desires to be. This past weekend, we invited our two uh, granddaughters to come camp out with us. We've been, we've been looking at little campers and we decided that, you know, our grandkids are at the age, Ben, he's getting to be, he's 12 years old. Can you believe that? 18 feet tall. 12 years old. I told my wife, I said, you know, it's not going to be long. He's not even going to want to hang out with Grammy and Pops anymore. He's got a social calendar now. Every now and then he'll call us and say, hey, Pops, how you doing? You know, every now and then, Grammy, I said, I said, if we're going to do anything with this boy, I said, we need to get started doing it because he's going to, it's not going to be long. And maybe it's already there where Grammy and Pops aren't cool. I said, we got these two little granddaughters that we need to take full advantage of while we have the opportunity. I, I don't know why God has chosen to bless me so much and allow me to minister in an environment where my entire family is here. I can see them anytime I want to see them. I can call them up anytime I want to call them. I can text them anytime I want to text them. I can see them pretty much anytime I want to see them. So the other night we decided we want to camp out. Donna said, where are you going to go? I said, let's just go in the backyard. So we got that thing set up and put some propane in the tanks and put the awning up and strung the lights out and put the little rug out and got our chairs and, and got us some hot dogs and, and, and some, uh, and some wet s'more stuff to make s'mores with and got some movies that we could play in the little DVD player that's in there and we're all set and ready to go. So we're getting ready to watch a movie. Joby said, I, I want to watch Tom and Jerry. How many of you remember Tom and Jerry? It's all right. We'll watch Tom and Jerry. We put it in there. And there was this one particular episode. You know, Tom and Jerry, there's very little downtime in Tom and Jerry cartoons. Have you noticed that? They're always scurrying here and there and everywhere and just going here. And in this particular episode, Tom was being chased by the evil fire lady. And she was full of fire. And she could morph into these different uh, features and, and, and shapes and, and she was scaring Tom because of her evilness. I didn't notice when I was a kid how much of that kind of stuff was in cartoons. But she's got her hands raised. Uh, she's got a sword in this hand and she's got a shield in this hand and she's coming after Jerry and Jerry and she throws them down on the ground and starts running after Tom and Tom jumps into the lake of fire. I know some people that have been jumping into the lake of fire. And he's in the lake of fire. But before he gets into the lake of fire, he reaches back and he takes hold of her shield and takes a hold of her spear and he gets in the lake of fire. And you can tell by his face that the fire is hot and that he's afraid and he's frightened and his face is down, you know, it's down and he's, and, and, and he's, and you can see fear everywhere. 
And then the fire came up behind him like a wave of the ocean in Hawaii. And it came up and just as the fire was getting ready to come over him and enclose him, he reached for that shield and that spear and he threw the shield down and he got up on the shield and the shield now became a surfboard. And he takes the spear and he sees the fat end and he starts paddling like this. And so now he is standing on what used to be a shield but is now a surfboard and he is paddling with what used to be a spear but is now a paddle and he's going and he's rowing and all of a sudden he realizes that he's going to be okay and the fear leaves his face and it is replaced by a smile and he looks back at the old fire later, lady and gives her one of those looks kind of thing and he's going and he is saved and just as he is saved his little pocket opens over here on the left side and little Jerry sticks his head out he's been in his pocket the whole time and he smiles real big and the story's over And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this thing. And it suddenly dawns on me. I have been in the lake of fire before. I have been in places just like Peter. Where I knew that if God didn't somehow rescue me. I was going down in flames. But then it dawned on me that the very thing that the enemy designed to destroy me can be transformed into the very thing that will bring deliverance into my life. The shield and the sword that was designed to destroy him became a surfboard and a paddle that took him to his victory. And it just don't know me. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff you're in. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if the, the, the flames of hell are licking up all around you. Listen, I've come to tell you today, the stuff that the devil designed to destroy you is going to be turned around and God is going to work it for your good and victory and transformation will be yours. In Jesus' name. Jesus was interceding. Here's how I spelled the word. Capital I, capital N, dash, T-E-R-C-E-D-I-N-G. <laughs> Sometimes we think Jesus is way out there in Never Never Land. No, his spirit is in you and he is interceding for you. He is interceding for you. It's already in you. The answer's already there. The word of God, the word of faith is already in you. All you got to do is just start speaking and agreeing with what God has already put in you so that the answer that is in you can be released outside of you. Interceding. 
You say, well, Pastor Earl, sounds good, but I can't find God. I've looked. I've tried. I looked in the back room. I looked in the bathroom. I looked in my purse. He wasn't there either. I looked in the car. I checked the closet at home. I checked everywhere. I cannot find God. Let me tell you where you're most likely to find him. If you can't find God, try prayer. Try worship. Try praise because he inhabits such things. Amen. Stop looking in the closet. Stop looking in the pantry and just start saying, oh God, I may not be able to see you with my natural eyes, but I know that you're there. I believe your word. I believe your word is true. God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what the outcome could be. I know they killed James and here I am laying in chains and soldiers all around me. God, I don't have the answer. I can't see you here, but somehow I know down deep in my spirit that you have not left me alone that you are here for me and you will provide the answer that I need sometimes you want to know where God is he's right in the middle of your mess he's right in the middle of the mess that you created but he's there because he loves you he's not mad at you he's not angry at you he wants to pull you out of your mess He wants to reach down to where you are and pull you up. And like the psalmist said, he reached down and he took me up and he set my feet up on a firm foundation. The old quartets used to sing, when he reached down his hand for me, he had to reach way down for me. But it doesn't matter how far down that he has to reach to get you. He knows where you are Because he is right there with you. I say, you don't know what kind of mess you're in. I don't care what kind of mess you're in. I only care what God says about where he is. The psalmist said, if I go into the very into the seas, behold, you are there. If I go into the depths of the earth, behold, you are there. If I go into hell itself, behold, you are there. God doesn't go with you for a little while and then say, okay, well, I'm just not going to go there with you. I, I, I'm a holy God, and I'm just not going there with you. If you're going to go there, just you're on your own now. You just go on. Just have fun, and when you get done, come back. I'll be right here. No, no, Jesus said, if, you, if that's where you're going, if that's what you're going to do, if that's how you're going to act, I'm going to go right there with you. You're not going to set me off to the side and put me out of your life just because you're about to make a poor decision. You go ahead and make the poor decision if you want because I've given you the right to do that. I've given you the free will to choose whatever path that you want to go. But just know that whatever you choose, you are not going to get rid of me because I am an omnipresent God. And thirdly, punch your neighbor and say, thank God. What are you thanking God for? Because I'm on my third point. I got eight. Third observation, final one, so you can, you can relax now. Omni-God 
orchestrates the grand finale. <laughs> Omni God orchestrates the grand finale. How many of you have ever been guilty of putting the plan together and then giving it to God and saying, now God, if you'll do it like this, this is what will be best. God, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying about this. And it just seems good to me that if you'll do it like this, it will benefit me greatly and it will glorify your name. God doesn't do that. God orchestrates the grand finale. I've learned in life that to be an overcomer, I have to balance my efforts with God's efforts. And I have to learn that the things that I can do, I should do. And the things that I cannot do, I have to learn trust to, to, to trust God to do what I can't do. But I have to learn where that point is. Peter learned that. That's the reason he was asleep. He wasn't afraid to die. He had, he had no grand finale planned in his mind as to how this could all play out. He was just in a state and in a place where he said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm in a situation I, I can't control. I, I, have, I have no power to break these chains. My middle name is not Houdini. I can't get out of these. And if I could get out, then I have to defeat 16 guards that are all around me. I, I, I have no power to do that. And then, if I could do that, I still have to get out of the whole prison. Find my way out of here without somehow getting killed. But instead of planning his own escape. He said, I'm going to trust you, God. If I, if I wake up tomorrow in heaven, so be it. But I'm going to take a nap now. And I'm going to sleep. And I'm going to rest knowing that you've got it all in control. And so what does God do? He steps in and he starts doing what only he can do. Here's the point of personal victory. Personal victory often comes in the ability to turn things over and turn things off. Sometimes you just got to hit the little switch and turn it off. You just got to turn it over to God. And then once you turn it over to God, you have to turn the switch off and say, I'm not, I'm not putting any more energy into this at all. No more spiritual energy because it is out of my control. And God, it will be what you determine it will be. And God said, thank you very much. I'm going to take care of it. 
And while Peter is asleep, he speaks to one of his angels and he says, go down there and tell Peter to get up and wake up. And the scripture says that the angel goes over to Peter and he kicks him in the side and he says, wake up, man of God, wake up. Put your shoes on. Put your cloak on. Get up. And Peter thought he was dreaming. Peter thought he was imagining what was actually taking place in his life. Let me tell you something. When you start walking in the will of God, it'll seem like a fantasy dream because there's no way that you could have thought it up this good. It wasn't your idea. It was God's idea. Don't fight the dream. Just walk in it. And he gets up and the chains break off uh, and he sneaks out with the angel. And as they're going out, uh, all the guards, you know, they're, they're just, they're still sleeping, I guess. They're out of the way. And they get to the big gates outside. And I don't know, some of us, we were, well, we need to have a committee meeting now and determine how we're going to open these gates because they're too big for one man. And we need to figure out, are we going to use leverage? And maybe we need to hire someone to come and do it, but they got to do it quick. No, Peter, just he's just walking he's just walking in trust he's just walking in faith I don't know what it's going to look like but I know that God's on the scene and God's going to take care of it and the scripture says when he gets to the gates at the edge they just opened up on their own accord and he kept on walking and he walked down to Mary's house. And there's a little girl there by the name of Rhoda who came because Peter's standing at the door and he's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking. And Rhoda comes and looks out and she sees Peter. And when she sees Peter, the scripture says she got so excited that she shut the door and ran back inside and left Peter standing outside and said, somebody was knocking at the door. And it was Peter. It's like that old country western song. Somebody is knocking would you let him in so it couldn't be it can't be you must be dreaming oh I could preach right there all day start asking God and praying by faith God we want you to deliver we want you to save we want you to work we want you to move we want revival in our lives we want you to transform our children we want you to break the addictions we want you to do those things and when God breaks in and does it we stand back in an amazement and say how could it be I'm going to tell you how it could be because God has been hearing the cries of his people and he is responding positively to the need they finally open the door and let him in they're reunited and he says be quiet be quiet but let me tell you what God has done is that the end of the story is it over no it's not over yet because God had more work to do did you ever feel like that you wanted revenge on the person who started this junk in your life in the first place? Did you ever think, oh, if I could just somehow get them back? Oh, I'm free from it now. I'm delivered from it now, but I still got this anger inside of me that is keeping me from walking in the freedom that God has for me. That sorry old person, that sorry individual, that sorry system, that sorry person, if they hadn't have done it, said it, I would have never had to go through that. 
and we can enjoy our freedom because we are so hell-bent on revenge. As Paul Walker used to say, we start thinking, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Praise God, I'm free. And now that I'm free, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And now that I have my hands back, I'm going to write somebody a dirty letter. Now that I'm free, I'm going to let somebody know just how displeased I am. I don't see anything about Peter saying, okay, I'm going to get Herod. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to get old Herod. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to somehow get my hands around his measly little neck and I'm going to squeeze a life right out of him until he dies a king's death. Peter didn't even waste his time thinking about Herod. He just kept on going and kept on walking in freedom and kept on walking on in victory and kept on preaching the word of God and kept on touching people's lives. What happened to Herod? Well, you know what happened to Herod. God said, you go on and preach, Peter. I'll take care of Herod. Herod got so mad because Peter escaped that he went down to Tyre and Sidon who didn't even like Herod. But they got their food from Herod. And so they were manipulating Herod so they could get the food that they needed to eat. And the scripture says that one day Herod arrayed himself in his royal robes and he began to orate. He began to speak. I am Herod. I am the great one. If you elect me, I promise you that wages will go up. My first day in office, I will. You know what the people did? They start saying, oh, oh, oh. That's the best speech I've ever heard in my life. Oh. It's like, it's like he's not even a real human being. He must be a God. And you know that Herod, instead of saying, I'm not a God, I'm just a man. I'm just having fun up here, really. You know, really, don't start looking at me like that because I can't do that. You know, I can get you a little bit of food and a little cornbread and beans and stuff stuff, and a little onion to dip it down. But that's about it. I ain't got nothing else. But instead, he started thinking he was a God. He started thinking about how powerful he was. He started thinking about all the authority that he had and the words that he could speak that would affect people's lives. And the scripture says that while the words were on his tongue, the angel of the Lord smote him. And he drew his last breath. And he was eaten by worms. Ew. 
mean, big old worms crawling out of his ears. Big old worms crawling out of his nose. Big old worms crawling out of his mouth. Big old worms. Makes me want to go fishing. How about you? Where'd you get your worms? Got them out of Herod's body. Man, the crappie will hit them like crazy. Who did it? Did Peter do it? Did Mary do it? Who did it? God took care of the situation. Prayer team, come if you will.